Welcome everyone to another episode of Kiwi Talks. I'm honored to have my guest today, who has quite the resume. <laughs> <laughs> she is the CEO of For Our Good. She is on the trustee board for Go Eco, and she is currently running for the mayor title in Hamilton. I'd like to introduce Louise Hutt. <laughs> Kia ora, thank you for having me. Well, good. Thank you for being here. Um, one of the things I want to know is why you decided to uh, run for being mayor, because politics isn't everyone's cup of tea, <laughs> and it can be hard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely definitely true. Um, it's a story that I tell quite a lot, um, and it depends on whether or not you want the, like, five-second version or if you want the slightly longer and more interesting uh, version. Whatever you feel more comfortable <laughs> with telling. <laughs> um, so the voter turnout in Hamilton in the last election was like 33%. Right. So that's a lot of Hamilton who didn't vote and, you know, not engaged in our political discussions or our um, political leadership, I guess, of our city. Um, and so I'm kind of a nerd. Like um, the last election, I didn't really know what council did and I went out of my way to kind of research like what does council do why is this important because it feels like something important like when the government sends you letters in the post and is like hey tell us what you think about this to me I'm kind of like oh shit <laughs> like <laughs> I should probably do something about that um so yeah last election I, I really went out of my way to kind of figure out what this local body stuff was um and finding out that yeah nearly 70% of Hamilton didn't didn't vote to me was like oh okay so why this question of like why are we not engaged you know because I think when you think about it from a 70 percent that's well, it's a big number well yeah I mean it's not you as an individual right that's not an individual problem when so much of our city's feeling that way yeah um and so I was thinking about how you know we have a lot of incumbents run and run again and run again um, and it creates a lot of career politicians and would also been, we, <laughs> Hamilton City Council um, had been in the news quite a lot about um, councillors behaving badly. And um, I have some friends and family in Auckland and I went to visit them um, around the end of last year. And I remember having a conversation with one of my friends where she was saying like, but you know, your city councillor did this, like, isn't that so embarrassing? And I was like, <sighs> like... Yes, yes, it is. Um, and I remember, you know, having that conversation with her and being like, she knows who our councillors are. She lives in Auckland. Yeah, that's probably not a good sign. But how many, you know, people in Hamilton could name city councillors or even name who the mayor is? Um, and so that kind of really got me thinking like, okay, if, you know, if people want to talk to me as somebody who's quite proudly from Hamilton about embarrassing stuff that our council has done, like that to me is not great leadership. You know, we should be talking about all the great stuff council does because there is loads of great stuff that council does. Um, so how can we kind of change that conversation? And if, you know, if it's the same people running all the time, that's not going to interest the 70%, you know, nearly 70% of people who didn't vote last time. Particularly if they don't fit within their age group or... Yeah. 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 I mean, I think for me personally, I didn't really see anyone who I felt got the situation that I'm in you know where I'm at in life and the kind of experiences that I've had um there's certainly people who are sympathetic or people who are you know um 
yeah, sympathetic to the the situation, but that's different from knowing it because you've lived it and knowing it because you've been there and you understand the like realities of it. So like for me, um, a really interesting thing that's happened lately is our house is up for sale and we, me and my partner rent and it's kind of like, cool. So this is going to be the eighth time if the house sells and and we can't stay there, it's going to be the eighth time I've moved house since I came to Hamilton eight years ago. So that's fairly disruptive in terms of... Do you, you have know, a lot of stuff? I have so much stuff. Okay, well, then that makes it twice as bad. <laughs> you should see what our garage looks like, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and, like, that's just, like, one example of something, which is, you know, how many other mayoral candidates are going to have to move house a month before the election? True. It's kind of like, okay, and, you know, I've been, a, I've been a student here. I've lived off, you know, StudyLink and what two part-time jobs will give you, um, and that's pretty bleak, you know. Um, I've had to use our public transport because, you know, I couldn't afford to drive my car. Experienced that firsthand of how, you know, scary it can be when the last bus doesn't turn up or when, you know, you're using the sometimes good app that tells you when the bus is coming and then they magically disappear off the, off the app and you're like, oh, heck, okay. I don't even know there was an app. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Not up with the plate. (laughs) But like for me, you know, um, that's the kind of, sometimes pointy end of the services council provides. And I think that it's really important to have people sitting at that council table who have experienced them and who like know about them because that's their reality and that's their life rather than, you know, people who have had a council salary or been career politicians and not been necessarily, um, not had their opinions informed by the realities of our city for a while. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does make sense. <laughs> That's a really long answer to the first question. I'm but so no, sorry. It's, it's, it's good. It's good. Uh, so if if you were to become the mayor, mm-hmm. what would be some of the policies you'd put through or want to put through? Well, that's a really interesting topic because as the mayor, you're one person. Yeah, well, I discussed this with Andrew King yeah. and he was explaining to me how the, the structure of the council actually works. Yeah. Uh, so basically the mayor kind of sets the idea of what they want to implement and then the councillors actually decide whether it gets approved or not. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you really need um you really need consensus and you really need to be able to collaborate with the other people at that table. And I think the probably the most important thing a a, a mayor can bring to the table is a vision and something that like an ability to be able to get people in behind that vision, yeah, and understand it, and you know appreciate why. Um, well, as as someone who has uh, been through the hardships of studying, and you know you've you've passed, and now you're a CEO, yeah. Do you do you look at some things within the city now that you're just like, oh, I hate this. I want to change this. <laughs> well, there's some things like um, the free buses for under 18s that I'm like, oh, <laughs> I would. You don't like it? No, you... like I would have loved that. Like, right when you were like, studying, I would have absolutely loved that. And so um, there's some things now that I think like, dang, I wish that I had that. You know, All those... how, however, however long ago. <laughs> um, but then you know there are things that like um, I certainly get frustrated about in our city. Um, so. Um, I ride an e-scooter and I live in Frankton. I don't know if you've ever seen the footpaths in Frankton. 
Uh, it's been a while. <laughs> I haven't been around there lately, no. They're kind of, um, there's there's a pothole every, I don't know, 10 metres. There's a, there's a weird lump. Um, there's people parking on the footpaths. Um, this is just a, like the most niche example I could think of. But, yeah. you know, for me on an e-scooter, I go so slow and I'm like, I'm like a Nana e-scooter driver, <laughs> um, which is, which is fine. But, you know, I think about people who are wheelchair users or I think about, you know, parents with prams and I think about how hard that must be for them. And, you know, um, I know that the Hamilton city council has approved a trial of e-scooters in the city. And that's quite, to me, that's, that's great. Um, but I think what it's going to show is that we need better infrastructure for things like cycling and things like e-scootering because if you have you know if you have somebody being reckless on an e-scooter on the footpath you know your pedestrians are the ones who are gonna you know suffer the consequences of that and it's like cool well, where could we put them it's like you don't want to put them on the road no that's a very very squishy time yeah you, you become very aware of just you know how fragile <laughs> the human body is <laughs> um but you know i think stuff like that you know I don't see a future in which we don't have e-scooters, you know, because for one, whether we have big companies coming in and bringing them or whether people just buy them, yeah, you're going to have them, you know. And so I see stuff like more cycleways as a really, really basic um, way of just, you know, prepping our city for the future. Yeah. I think I think it's good for the environment as well. Mm, totally. Well, I mean, I've we've had it. Oh gosh, I don't know how many months we've had our e-scooter now. We've done over two hundred kilometers on it, so that's the equivalent of like Hamilton to Ruapehu. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's so many trips where I haven't driven, you know, and that, that's predominantly trips where I would have driven to say, um, into the CBD to go to the movies or, um, you know, to the post office or to the bank or whatever. I actually have never used one. What? I wish I'd, I was gonna I was gonna e scooter here and then I was like oh it's slightly too far <laughs> I don't want to get stranded at your house <laughs> that's all good I can always drop you off after um, but how much how much do they cost to operate um, so our one cost six hundred bucks so to what, just buy it just to buy it yeah okay um, you buy them from PB Tech I wish I was on commission um, <laughs> but uh, the interesting thing is that e bikes are worth like two thousand four thousand eight thousand dollars. And do kind of effectively the same thing in terms of like they're a motorized form of personal transport. Yeah. Um, and, but you think about what's a $8,000 commitment versus 600 bucks. Yeah. And like, I mean, 600 bucks is still not affordable for loads and loads of people. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's going to get way more people out of their cars, you know, zipping around the city than how how long, how long does it take to charge? A mm, couple of hours. Oh, yeah, that's pretty good. You know what a laptop charger looks like, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, effectively that, plug it in. Okay, and then a couple of hours, it's ready to go. Yeah. How long does it last for? Um, You can do about 30 kilometers. Okay, that's yeah. pretty decent. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, mm. nice. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Maybe I should consider one. <laughs> They're also very fun. Yeah. And that's the, I think that's the other thing is that, you know, like, driving in the car is not always like a fun experience sometimes it's slightly frustrating sometimes it's a little bit like Ugh. well i'm from auckland so <laughs> i'm preaching to I, the converted I, here. yeah yeah i know i know firsthand what traffic is like <laughs> you just yeah yeah so you know if you think of something which is also kind of like i don't know maybe this is a nerdy way of describing it but kind of joyful like i love being on the scooter it's really fun that's cool yeah yeah it's a good way of doing it so besides from uh, climate change and infrastructure, mm -hmm. 
what what are the other things you'd like to see change within the city i would really okay i read the comments on your youtube videos which, uh, which ones um one all of them <laughs> <laughs> well some of the recent ones and they said like oh you've got politicians coming on and they're so boring so i'm really sorry that this is going to be a boring answer i just want to like preemptively apologize to the well internet. what this is the thing <laughs> about people who comment it doesn't to, you might say something that somebody hates yeah, yeah but yeah it might resonate with someone else that's true so don't worry about them they're just going to comment no matter what so just you just say whatever it is you want to say and um, let the haters hate yeah fair um so one thing i'd really like to see um so we have a university we have polytechnics we have tuananga in the city um so that's a huge level of like expertise that we have locally yeah um and what we're kind of been missing from this last like council term is having panels or committees of experts informing what council does okay are you referring to climate in this instance oh, or just anything anything okay um and i think that it would be really really valuable um to bring that kind of um that level of informing back to council because like i'm not a climate scientist and i'm pretty sure most councillors and probably even the mayor yeah. aren't expertise on climate yeah and I, I mean like there's lots of people who aren't like, I'm not an expert on lots of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that, like, what I do in my role as a CEO is I gather information. Yeah. And so, you know, I look at what research or what studies or what people I can talk to to inform the decisions I make so that I know I'm making the best ones. Right. Um, and so I'd really like to see us kind of use our um, universities, use our tertiary education providers um, to, you know, basically be informing and making sure that we are making the best decisions. Because um, I think that at the end of the day, you need to be trusting your council, you know? Definitely. And Definitely. I think that, you know, knowing that they're using experts who are, you know, cutting edge research, you know, that's all the, the juicy stuff that I think um, makes, allows people to make better decisions. So why not use that when it's just here? Yeah. And it's another, you know, it's another reason to be proud of Hamilton. Um, we're the youngest and most highly educated city in New Zealand. The thing is, a lot of people don't know that. Oh, and, no. <laughs> and Hamilton, Hamilton gets a ridiculously bad uh, stereotype. Like I remember when I moved here from Auckland, Yeah. 98% of the people who I told I was moving to Hamilton, they were just like, why? What's yeah. wrong with you? Yeah. Don't get an SDI. You know, just stupid stuff like yeah. that. And it's not, it's like, it's not even true. Yeah, it's not even true. Yeah. I think it's just, yeah, same with Palmerston North, actually. That gets a bit mm. of a bad rap as well. But I don't, I don't understand why it is. Yeah, it's, it's certainly something that when I've talked to young people, <laughs> you, youths, um, I say that as a 26 year old, <laughs> um, you know, that is something that's a, that's a concern, you know, that, that reputation where, you know, people are going to make fun of you because you're from Hamilton. I think like that's the most like, I think as time goes on, it will fade. But yeah, well, uh, I think we need to be proud. Like we need to be proud of ourselves. And I think that you know there are a lot of people. Oh, well, I mean, this is something that I do at least. When people are like you're from Hamilton, I'm like, yeah, and Hamilton's great. Like you know, yeah, like don't give them a chance. To yeah, answer. yeah. <laughs> like I don't want to. Like I said this on Twitter the other day. I was like, I unfriended one of my uncles because he said Hamilton was shit one too many times, and I was just like, I don't have time for this. Yeah. <laughs> like, and when you actually ask people why it's terrible, mm. they usually don't have a good answer. They yeah. probably actually haven't even been here, so they don't even know. 
They're yeah. just going off what other people have said. Yeah. yeah. So um, I used to run this project called Handmade in Hamilton, and okay. it was kind of about supporting local businesses um, and encouraging people to buy locally and ethically and sustainable, um, particularly over Christmas when people tend to buy more. And I ended, we did uh, 12 days of giveaways one year, and we worked with um, some really amazing local brands like um, Good George, Seelong, um, Rocket Coffee, all of those kind of like epic like epic places from Hamilton that you think like, yeah, they're from here. Um, And then what I did was the second year, I partnered with um, another local businesswoman and she and I, her name was Michelle Bailey, and we came up with this concept of doing a map of Hamilton. And so what you could do is you could pick up this map anywhere in town and basically it would show you all of the really cool local stuff that was going on. So, you know, businesses, cafes, whatever. Um, And what you could do is you could kind of plot a route around the city seeing all of these things. So if you were coming to Hamilton and you're like, oh, what am I going to do in Hamilton? You could pick one of these up and be like, oh, heck. And what I did was I integrated that with Google Maps. So you could go on our website and open this Handmade in Hamilton Google Map and then you could just click whatever three, four, five, whatever yeah. you wanted to see and then Google Maps will say, cool, that'll take, I don't know, 20 minutes to walk between these ones and, you know, there's your afternoon sorted. Yeah. And it's, it's stuff like that when, you know, so much of my reasoning behind getting involved with this and, and, you know, creating this as a project was my friends from Wellington would come and visit and I would end up giving them tours of Hamilton and being like, there's this great thing, there's this great thing, there's this great thing. And then I realized, like, that's not really scalable as a as a tourist thing. You yeah. Know? I only have so many hours in the day in which to give people tours of our city. Right. Um, and so this was a really kind of cool way of using technology and using, you know, working closely with local businesses to kind of show them, well, show people from out of town all of the epic stuff that we actually have here. Yeah. Because when I think of tourism in Hamilton or things to show, it's usually the gardens, mm the zoo, mm. and probably the museum. Yeah. That's about all I got. Uh, I don't know if you know anything else. Well, lots of like, lots of what I wanted to do with my friends or stuff my friends wanted to do was like, can we just go get coffee? <laughs> like, you know, can we, yeah, just, yeah. can we just have a nice meal somewhere? And, you know, can we look at the river? And, you know, can we, what are some cool shops where we can take cool Hamilton merch back home? Or, you know, yeah. where's the Boone Street art in the city? You know, the kind of, obviously buying coffee costs money, but, you know, going and looking at some street art doesn't cost money. No, you know? it doesn't. Going doesn't. for a walk on the river trail doesn't cost money, you know? Um, yeah. Obviously the zoo kind of costs money. The gardens doesn't, and I love that about the gardens. Yeah, and I think they're expanding on the gardens. They're going to be adding more gardens. Yeah. yeah. I took one of my friends from Auckland to the gardens, and he didn't realize how big it was. Yeah. And I think we got to about six, and he's like, bro... <laughs> Uh, I think I'm done with gardens, man. How, <laughs> how many are there? I'm like, man, we can be here all day. He's like, oh, can we go do something else? Because there's just so many. You yeah. can easily spend a whole day there. Oh, me and one of my campaign team, we had like a, a day off um, a couple of weekends ago. And we we're like, oh, we'll just go for a walk around the gardens. And we were there for six hours. And we came out of it and I was like, wait, what's the, oh no, <laughs> what's the time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so easy. Good cardio. Well, yeah. I mean, I've never done so many steps in my life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Does your phone tell you if you've got 10,000 steps? My oh, you got your watch. Yeah. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Oh, okay. 
is um are you are you for or against the the ferry bank plan and the Waikato Regional Theatre? I mean, I because think... I'm I know you watch the podcast with Andrew. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think it would be really dumb to look a gift horse in the mouth when the government's going to give you lots of money. Um, I agree. <laughs> so I if somebody's agree. like, "Hey, we're going to fund this thing," um. As a potentially incoming counsellor. That's, that's why I think no peacock, is, yeah. peacock is good. Uh, some of the things that Andrew told me, I was, oh, yeah, I agreed with. Not everything. There's yeah. some things that I didn't agree with. But, uh, but yeah, I his his reasoning for the Waikato Regional Theatre I thought was good, even though there's some people who are totally against it. Um, yeah. I mean, from my point of view, so, like, I did a Bachelor of Media and Creative Technologies and then I did a Master of Media and Creative Technologies. Um, and that's kind of putting together technology and art kind of in in one degree. Yeah. So the art world is something that I have kind of, you know, art and music and, you know, all of that kind of different mediums is a space that I once seriously considered a career in. And then was like, cool, there is no money. There is no money in that. Yep. That's the same problem I've, I've found with music. <laughs> yeah. No money in it. Yeah. And for me, it was it was filmmaking. That was predominantly what I did, filmmaking, graphic design, and photography. And when I think about, you know, from my personal experience, what our creative communities need, um, they need space and time to develop their art or, or their craft or yeah. whatever it is. You know, nobody... Um, nobody's born and then is magically Michael Jackson, you know, or, or no. magically Richard O'Brien, you know, who yeah. the person we have a statue of in our city. Um, and so I think it's really great. We'll have a regional theater to put on amazing, you know, amazing events and performances, but what are we doing to support our community to get there? Yeah. I can only think of zeal. Mm -hmm. That's about the extent of it. I can't really think of anything. There's probably little niche pockets mm. here and there but yeah and i i think from my perspective of what council can do i mean um currently arts funding is sandwiched with community funding and cultural funding and they all compete for the same pool and that to me seems like a really difficult space to kind of manage yeah and you know they serve different purposes to different, like, those kind of events. And so you're not really, in my opinion, comparing apples with apples when you're comparing, you know, applications for funding for things. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, I'd love to see more more funding for our grassroots events. I'd love to see more stuff like, like, if you take Boone Street, for example, I mean the visual impact on our city is huge. I mean, it's it, it transforms our city into a far more beautiful place to, to look at and to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I was looking at, um, I don't know if you know TJ. She's a local um, musician. Um, so much of her music video from her latest um, single is shot with Bone Street in the background. Can you send me the link? Yeah. <laughs> I'll be keen to watch it. Yeah, and it's just like, you know, I know that Bone Street might be something which is a little bit hard to tangibly show here are the figures of how much money it made us. Yeah. But if you think about the the cultural richness it gives us, you know. Yeah, well, some people say, oh, Hamilton doesn't have any culture. <sighs> <laughs> I get like... <sighs> oh, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I um, I think I remember you mentioning that you wanted to see more high density. Was it high density housing? Yep. Yeah. There is an asterisk on that. Good high density housing. True. <laughs> that is important. You don't want it to be moldy or well. I mean, falling I, apart. Yeah. I mean, so um, I grew up on the Carmandel in a really small town called Fongmata. Um, I love that town. Yeah, lots of people do. Yeah. Um, and I predominantly lived in. Um, we we moved around quite a lot. My mum moved house seven times in three years. Yeah. Um, and so I got to experience a, a raft of different houses. <laughs> yeah. And lots of that though was you know um a single house on a on a section. Mm-hmm. I moved to Hamilton. In the eight different houses I've lived in, there's only been one which wasn't high density. So from my perspective of, you know, living here and living in, you know, eight different eight different places around our city, I've lived in shit, yeah. really, really shit um, high density yeah. where, you know, it was concrete block flats, which was freezing and, you know, like no insulation and, you know, no consideration of the turning circle on a car when you're trying to reverse out of a car park. Yeah. Are these um, like really, really old high density? They are really, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of the older stuff, which is not really... Because obviously new houses these days have to have insulation, yes, which yes. is good. But, I mean, they've brought, just brought in this rule where you have to have insulation in your ceilings yep. and floor. Yep. But that it doesn't really do that much. It's still only the the ceiling and the floor, you know. Yeah, You've yeah. still got walls. <laughs> yeah, and still gets very, very cold. Yeah. Um, and so for me, like, we currently live in a townhouse which is only one year old. Well, it's not even, sorry, it's not even one year old. Um, it is by far the nicest place I've ever lived in my whole life, um, partly because it's brand new, but also because, um, you know, we have a dishwasher. <laughs> we have a heat pump. Um, and I think that, you know, when I think about what makes this place good, it's also the fact that, you know, we have a little garden and it's not weed mat, you know, and we have a hedge and we have, you know, a garage with a shared driveway and everybody can get their cars out of the shared driveway and nobody yet has dinged anyone's fence, you know? Yeah. It's like there's actually been thought into the everyday use of the house and not just like how many people can we cram into this tiny space yeah because for me like i don't my partner might disagree with this but i don't really see a future for me soon in the near future living in a house with a big section i don't see that as a reality for me yeah well uh, housing is becoming more and more unaffordable particularly for young people yeah um i've had this discussion with some of my friends and uh, even one of my previous guests, uh, Tracy. But, you know, when you think that a lot of young people, they go to uni, they get these $50,000, $60,000 student loans. Mine is the- 60. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> so, and then you, you're you required to pay that back. Yep. Plus you got to save a, a 20% deposit to buy a house. Yep. Now in Auckland, that's near enough impossible yep. unless you're studying or you're doing law or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's only a matter of time before Hamilton starts getting a, a bit ridiculous as well. I mean, there's already places in Cambridge that are on par with yeah. Auckland. Um, and a lot of Aucklanders are moving down these ways. So it's just, it's becoming really, really unaffordable. And I do worry how people, younger people especially, are going to get into the property market. Because it's it's not even about, the housing has become a business. Mm, mm. 
it's not actually about you know uh someone's home someone's home yeah yeah it's just viewed in dollar signs yeah and that's not that's just that's a worldwide thing yeah it's not, yeah, just it's New not Zealand. unique to us yeah. yeah yeah and that's i think um maybe the the unique selling point or whatever you want to call of me as a candidate um so i'm the youngest ceo of an electricity company in new zealand and you know electricity is a core service you know, yeah. housing is a core service. Lots of what council does is your core services. Um, and I know that for me, if, you know, making sure that people's power is connected is critical. The level of, like, responsibility of ensuring that, you know, everything runs the way it's supposed to run and everything works the way it's supposed to work, because if you screw that up, the, the outcomes or the consequences for that can be incredibly serious. Um, that's the kind of responsibility that I live with, you know, every day. And I think that, you know, sometimes I'd like to see more of that concern of, you know, the end user's well-being or, you know, what are the, what are the everyday realities of the decisions that we make? And, you know, that's something that... Um, is that something council can do, though, or local government? Well, council and local government are the same thing. I mean, central government. I mean, central government certainly has a huge, huge part to play in that, but I think as well, you know, when you go back to um, high-density housing, for example, yeah, ensuring that it's, you know, considered properly and, you know, is not a nightmare for the people who end up living there. You know, council has some rules or some, you know, um, policies that they can put in place around how that happens and what it looks like. So, you know, people don't, don't just see dollar signs when they see, you know, four in empty sections in a row and think, great, you know, how many can we fit in here? Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> some people, I don't see them changing their minds on that. Oh, for sure. And I mean, just... but the thing about council, right, is that it's about balance. So it's about balancing. Which is a very hard thing to do. Oh, for sure. Because every decision you make, you know, you're going to piss some people off and you're going to make sure. some people happy, no matter what, yeah. no matter what, unless probably rates that just pisses off everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's very, very tricky. Very, very tricky. I think that that comes back to, again, the role of what the mayor does as the, the leader effectively of a, of a council, but also of a city is being able to explain to people and, you know, help them understand why you're doing stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to be having those conversations where you're saying, hey, look, I know that you might not like this, but like, here's the greater benefit that we see this happening. Tran transparency is yeah. so key. Yeah. Because I think, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. For sure. Which is, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to have yourself on and why I had Andrew on. So they had a platform to talk for however long they needed to get the point across. Mm. Because I think when you when they're on radio or on television for 10 minutes they have to condense a whole bunch of information it's all sound bites yeah yeah and stuff can be mis misinterpreted quite easily yeah so i think i think transparency is very very important mm. um but then people have to be open yeah to it as well yeah for sure and i, I mean something really interesting that i've found in, in talking about things with people is um especially around inequality if you're somebody who doesn't um, experience the negative side of inequality um, you might think like why should I give a shit you know why should I care yeah you know this doesn't affect me you know these other people should just you know toughen up or whatever whatever um, and it's been really interesting having this these discussions with people and saying 
I totally get that you're in this position where that's not a problem for you. Like, you know, totally understand that that's what's informing your perspective. But can I tell you a story about somebody who is impacted by that and how that changes their life and how that, you know, limits the things that they can do and the things they can achieve with, you know, their time on earth. And, you know, having those conversations where you're kind of growing people's perspective on the world and, you know, encouraging things like empathy to me is really, really valuable in kind of, you know, making sure that you bring people along with you and people understand why you're doing things. Because, yeah, at the end of the day, um, there's probably lots of things in council which don't personally affect me or like, you know, like free buses doesn't personally affect me because I'm over the age of 18. Yeah. But I'm still like, great. But it's great for young people. Yeah. Because young people do not have a lot of money to spare. (laughs) Yeah. Or they have no money. Yeah. Period. So. Yeah. And well, like, that was the interesting thing with our house going up for sale was, you know, we had this conversation with the um, real estate agent who was really lovely and really, really um, thoughtful in speaking to us. But he was like, you know, would you want to put an offer in? (laughs) We were just like... No. no. <laughs> but the other side of it, you know, is that in running for council, the median spend for the mayoral candidates last election was $50,000. And we would probably need a bit over that for our, if we were to put a deposit on the house. Yeah. And it's just like, I don't have, <laughs> I didn't have $50,000 before I ran for mayor. And I definitely don't have one, don't $50,000 now. Yeah. I don't have it for a house deposit either, you know. Well, it's, it's interesting because when I lived in Auckland, Uh, I'd often have these conversations with a lot of my friends up there and I've moved down here and nearly all of them, 95% of them are still in the exact same position they were before I left. And this was about four years ago. And some are just hoping that a crash happens. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think they really realize the impact. They're just thinking of themselves personally, but it actually it affects a lot more than uh, what they realize in terms of the whole country and the economy. And then there's the people who uh, poured blood, sweat and tears just to save the money to get a house. And then if they're living pay week to pay week, just to pay the mortgage and then, you know, their, their house plunges in in value, then they're screwed really. So it's difficult. Have you, um, have you done much traveling at all? Um, not not really because I've never had the finances for it but I did um I got a scholarship when I was doing my master's and I used some of that money to go over to um the UK for a conference on my master's thesis topic oh wow um so I went to London and Dublin for that but I mean like if I had not got a ten thousand dollar scholarship I would not have gone Um, so you obviously with going to London can you tell how everything yeah it's mostly townhouses very things small there's not these big sections like we have here yeah and part of it because part of the problem i find with new zealand is we build out mm-hmm. as opposed to up yep where every other country i've been to does not do that uh i mean wellington not really but that's because they don't there's just hills everywhere so yeah. they, they were forced to build up in terms of the cbd but if, yep. if you look at auckland for its population it actually shouldn't spread out as wide as it does yeah and then as a result you get massive traffic congestion and traffic problems so i think the the high density housing also solves a lot of the Mm. the traffic issues as well for sure i mean i um when i was in london i admittedly i was there for a week (laughs) um but i house sat for some friends of mine who lived in hackney and they lived off one of the huge parks 
in London, and it was this three-story, effectively townhouse, um, on a on a huge block of you know, flat, 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 flat. Yeah. Um, but it was beautiful. It was right next to. Um, it was right, literally across the road from this huge park. Um, there were so many buses and trains, and you know anything I wanted to catch, I could. Um, you know, London is a huge, 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 huge place, oh, yeah. and I navigated that on I don't know two hours sleep, like it was the easiest thing in the world. Well, their public transport is so damn good. <laughs> so damn. I mean, good. they'll still complain about it if you ask somebody from London. Oh like... yeah, but it just comes down to perspective. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. But I think like that's the thing when I think about the value that high density brings. Yeah, you don't have a backyard. You have to go and share your green space with you know somebody else, but you have green space, you have huge, beautiful parks, you have, you know, easy access to your amenities because there are more people living in that area. So there's higher demand for it. You know, you don't have to drive all the way out to find a supermarket or, you know, um, there's a, there's demand for public transport because there's simply the people living there to need it. And yep, Peacocks is going to happen. There's no kind of like no take backs on, on Peacocks, but putting in new suburbs, putting in the infrastructure for new suburbs, which is what council's responsible for um, to some degree, is expensive. Very expensive. And I mean, I wonder how much those houses in Peacock are going to cost. Yeah, yeah. A and lot, I would so say. So for me, it's like, you know, people are people are always concerned about rates rising and, you know, high-density housing is one, one way of balancing the extreme cost of always sprawling and, you know, the cost that has on individuals of, you know, Yes, you have your beautiful section with your house in the middle of it. Yeah. But you don't have your amenities. You need to drive your car. You know, um, transport emissions, particularly from all of us owning cars as individuals, is the second highest um, contributor to carbon emissions in New Zealand. And so yeah. high-density housing, if you think of that as something which, you know, promotes public transport use, is again, like um, Andrew talked about this a lot, but, you know, it's one way of, you know, lessening those carbon emissions yeah i think i think people would be open to public transport if if it was good well it has to be cheap it has easy to be che- and reliable yes yes and i mean i've i was reading this week about how the train busted in wellington yeah yep, yep. i lived in auckland and i used to hear all the time about friends catching the train and the train would break down um and then when i was in auckland i'd wait to catch the bus and then sometimes the bus just wouldn't even show up yep so i used to um i used to work in the cbd and i used to live in beta and <laughs> i would try and work as late as i could um to get as many hours in and then i would try to catch the last bus home and sometimes it just didn't turn up sometimes it would drive past me so what do you do walk home yeah and and try imagine really? imagine walking from the cbd along the river path with no lighting, or I could walk through, like, um, the hospital route to get to Beta at, like, 7, 8 o'clock at night in the middle of winter. There might be people listening to this that don't know what... Beta is a pretty rough suburb. I know I have friends in Auckland who are probably listening to this, so that's, like, the equivalent <laughs> of Otara. Just thought I'd put that out there. Anyway, keep going with your story. I love living there, but... <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that was that was really, really difficult to me. And, you know, not having buses run... Like, having the last bus run at something, it was, like... I don't know, 10 past seven is, is hard. Yeah. You know? um, but again, you know, it's all, it's all about balancing it. You know, if, if people don't use it, p- there's no demand for it. So you can't put in more of it that makes it better. Yeah. Well, this is. It's a the, vicious cycle. Yeah. That's why when I asked Andrew, because 
he wants to get more people using buses. And I said, well, you know, you need to have bus lanes so people yeah. can get into. And his his uh, his argument for that was actually pretty valid, I thought, in terms of well, I'll get people on the buses first. Then you can justify the reasoning to put in yeah. more bus lanes. Well, I think as well, you need to think, like, how many people do you fit in a bus? So you fit, I don't know, 35. Yeah. That's still 35 cars if we're all driving individually. Which is a lot. Not on the road. Yeah. 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 Well, I think it's I think it's a good idea. What's your thoughts on the Hamilton to Auckland train? Um, I love it because then I can visit all my family and friends in Auckland. Um, normally when I go to Auckland, I try and catch the $20 bus. Um, oh, yes. From the CBD to um, the Auckland CBD to CBD. Basically, sometimes it goes by the airport, um, which I think is great. Um, but a train is cooler, in my opinion. Um, oh, yeah. Trains make me less carsick. I love trains. Um but I think as well, like, you need to be thinking about buses are only so big, you know? Yeah. And they still rely on the road. Whereas, you know, the amount of people who theoretically live in Auckland and Hamilton and would have some desire to go between, relatively high, trains to me, where you can just add a carriage, add a carriage, add a carriage. Well, they've already got trains uh, from Palmerston North and the wire upper that people catch to commute into Wellington yeah, yeah, every day. Uh, yeah. And that's a far lesser population than mm, than mm. Hamilton and Auckland. So I do think it can work. I would like to see the times reduced quite dramatically over time because I think it's a big problem because it's four hours a day. Oh, uh, okay. Do you, you mean duration of trip? Yeah, the duration of the trip because yeah, I think it's sure. two hours and 20 minutes. I actually think that's actually faster during peak hour. I'm not sure if you ever tried to drive to Auckland during peak hour. Oh, I, well, I tried to avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> and you can easily spend three hours. Yeah, for sure. If not more. And that's only going to get worse. Yeah. <clears throat> Although I'm, we'll see what happens once the expressway opens, but I don't think that's going to make much difference. Yeah. I think that um, in terms of the train, one, trains are cool, but also two, you know, you can do so much more. Whereas, you know, stuff like in a bus, you can't really use well, a laptop or whatever. This kind of motion on a bus. <laughs> yeah. But also on a bus, you're so much, you're crammed together. You can't go to the bathroom. One time I, one time I took the, um, the bus from Hamilton to Otaki on the, um, Kapiti coast. Oh yeah. It's like a 12 hour bus trip. Yeah. It was possibly the worst 12 hours I've ever spent in my life. Um, Partly because I was so paranoid that w when we stopped to go to the bathroom, the bus would leave. And one time it was kind of like gearing up to leave and I was like, no. <laughs> so I like, I love the idea of a train where you're like, you can go to the bathroom. Yeah. You can have a cafe on board. You can, you know, use the Wi-Fi. But you just, yeah, you don't get with a bus. I think it solves, you know. Do you know anyone in your inner circle that would actually use the train? To Auckland? Yeah. I mean, I would use it. I'd 100%. Besides, besides yourself. Um. Yeah, I, I yeah, would yeah, probably yeah. I would probably use it now and then if I was going to I, a gig or something. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The amount of yeah, um, just in terms of concerts, totally. Um, yeah. but also, there's so many of my friends in Auckland who I went to uni with in Hamilton now live in Auckland, but who come down every so often to visit, you know, friends and family who are still here. Um, for sure, who I'm 100 would rather take a, a train. Mm. Um, especially like, I live quite close to the train station, so I'm kind of like, yes, oh, yeah, I will it, pick it, you it, up. It, Frankton is the first stop, isn't it? And then it goes to the base? Uh, the other way around. 
So the base is more north than Frankton, so it would come through the base into Frankton. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I get you. Mm. So what's what's your campaign trail been like? <laughs> Since you're a CEO, you're yep. on the board, I'm sure you've got a whole bunch of other things you're probably doing. And while yep. trying to run a campaign. Yeah. I um, mean, I've seen I've seen on your Facebook page a few events yep. that you're at. <laughs> yeah. Um, hosting. It's pretty intense. Um, I kind of like, I work from about eight, half past eight in the morning till six at night. And then I have about half an hour and then I come home and eat dinner, <laughs> read th- some leftovers. I will say I think you have actually, like a pretty good decent shot of winning. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, I, actually, well, I, spend... I actually do. It's uh, because I I'm this is a pretty bit of a funny story, but I'm I'm part of this tax and rates group. Yeah. <clears throat> that I kind of got swindled into joining. <laughs> How do you? Okay, sorry. Continue. Yeah, continue. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, I was talking to them because they have a meeting once a month. Yeah. And at the last meeting, which was end of June, so I think it was last weekend, I think. Anyway, I mentioned to them, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be having the mayor on my podcast. And they're like, oh, you need to talk to him about this. this." They know all their stuff on politics, honestly. If you just come around. Highly engaged. Yeah, 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 they know their stuff. And anyway, quite a few of them were saying, oh, you know, Louise, she's the dark horse, man. She (laughs) She could take this out. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah, she can, she can. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's been really interesting. I yeah, so I I um I work till about six o'clock at night, and then I come home and I spend basically from seven o'clock through till eleven or twelve at night working on the campaign. And then so when you say working on the campaign, what 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 do you mean exactly? Do you mean? I mean uh, answering emails, um, scheduling stuff in my calendar for events like this. Um, I was, I was quite surprised how fast you responded to my email when I sent it to you. That was a fast one. Yeah. <laughs> there's, some, was, there's some in there who have been there for a couple of weeks. Because Andrew, Andrew took like a week and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I actually thought, I'm like, oh, he's, not, he's not even going to reply. <laughs> well, it sort, of, um, it sort of depends as well. Like when, if you ask me to come on something like this, this is relatively easy. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, some stuff requires slightly more considered answers. Some stuff I have to go back and forth with my campaign team about. So, Oh, you have a campaign team? Yeah, there's team. like 50 of us. Well, I 50, think. 50 people on your campaign yeah. team? Wow. Yeah. So what, you get a whole group together and you just Well, um, our campaign meetings are really fun. Um, <laughs> I would imagine. We, we generally, um, people come over to my house and we just kind of, I have a, an agenda of like, here's all the stuff I've done since the last meeting. Sounds like a party. Well, <laughs> a party about politics? <laughs> oh, alcohol involved, maybe. Um, and yeah, we just talk about um, what's coming up and then kind of delegate tasks out. So, I mean, um, I had a quiz night um, a couple of weeks back. Oh yes. I saw that. Was it, uh, Cook Street Social? Yeah. 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 We had 21 teams and I don't know if you know how big Cook Street Social is, but it was very packed. Um, yeah, it's not that big, is it? No. Yeah. <laughs> they, we thought that we well, they would have been happy. Like, oh, oh yeah. Yeah. Getting plenty of money tonight. It was a great Tuesday night for them. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but you know, that was, um, 21 teams. We had, um, what was it? It was, Eight rounds with six questions each, and we had a five hundred dollar raffle. Right. I did not organize any of that. That was all my campaign team who put that on, and we raised um, over fifteen hundred dollars just from that one event. That's awesome. Yeah. So I mean, I cannot emphasize enough that this, while it may look like one individual person, 
There's a lot of people the, behind the scenes yeah, I mean, helping it's, out. It's huge. And I mean, I'm having worked in media as well, you know, um, I've been, I wrote this press release ready to go and it was like, you know, I'm going to send it to these journalists and, you know, I'm going to, I'm, you know, I really prepared all of that stuff. And, and the thing that I didn't expect was that I've not sent it because I've been inundated with press coming to me being like, hi, yeah, well, you're interesting. <laughs> I, I, because I saw a video of you a couple of days ago on the Herald. Yeah. There was yeah, yeah. you being on the project as well. Yep. So I'm thinking, man, this, this, this girl's getting attention. Yep. I think um, so far I've been in the Sunday Star Times, the Waikato Times, the Hamilton News, the New so Zealand So they all Herald, came to you? Western Community News, the project, um, and then there's a couple of other things coming out soon as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Confidential. Well, it's always like um, I didn't know when the Sunday Star Times piece was coming out and so I kept just buying papers every every Sunday to try and find it <laughs> and then I was like it's not the Sunday oh, okay well th that's fine I just have a bunch of newspapers now but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> oh it's funny yeah so it's, it's been really 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 interesting um and it's kind of quite I guess heartening that I asked my followers on Instagram you know like are you enrolled do you know what council does do you care about this and all of them were like, "Yes, they do, we're all in, like we're all enrolled. We all we don't want to talk about what council does. We want to know about what your vision is." And I was like, "Okay, because you know, Instagram's predominantly again, you know, young people." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I say, well, I mean, I because I talked to Andrew about this in yeah. terms of how to get more young people interested yeah. about politics, which. I mean, he's more of an optimist probably yeah. than I am. <laughs> I'm a bit more skeptical yeah. because. I'm young, you're younger. So <laughs> uh, I know because I was not into politics at all in my uh, late teens, early 20s, yeah. late 20s even. So yeah. it's only within the last few years I've kind of really started paying paying attention. And I think with, with social media, uh, young people are just, I don't know, they're just not really interested and engaged for the most part and they like things everything in mm. small digestible small, chunks yeah and politics is a very complex thing yep. yep very complex so to try and explain it to a young person mm. well what i found though is that young people know about politics they they care about stuff passionately they just don't know it's politics can you give me an example so like um I try and try and generate discussion on Instagram and not like in a douchey way, but in just, you know, like if I asked last night, what's one thing you love about Hamilton and what's one thing you would change? And I ended up having this really great discussion with one person who was like, well, um, I don't, I don't know about politics, you know, I, I don't know about what council, you know, can do about these things, but you know, these are things that would impact me, and if you could change them, you know, that would be really valuable. Such as? Such as better public transport. Right. Um, you know, uh, positively, you know, um, working on building communities within suburbs, you know, feeling connected to, to where you live, um, things like that. When you say communities, are we talking... Are you talking about an ethnic community? Are you talking about a religious community? Or are you just talking about any community? Any community. Okay. Um, but the interesting thing for me, right, was that this person, one, like all of that, 
was an opinion on politics. Yeah. But they just didn't see that or, or didn't feel confident being like, I have an opinion on council. It was like, well, you know, my life would be better if these things changed or, you know, I, I would appreciate it if these things were different. And I think so much of the conversations I have are about explaining that the issues that young people are facing are po inherently political issues. I mean, everything is political. You know, and if if you don't feel like something is a political choice, then it's because you're not at the like sharp end of it. Yeah. And so for me, so much of it is you know trying to encourage people that you know the opinions that they have are valid and worth listening to. And I went to Hillcrest High, which was really cool and slightly terrifying to talk to like 600 16 to 18 year olds. Um, I went to a high school where my year 13 class was of like 22 people. So 600, I was like, oh, I'm not cool enough to do this. <laughs> but, you know, I, I really made a point of saying to them, you know, like you need to feel confident enough and you need to feel brave enough to say, hey, this stuff affects me and I don't like it. Or, or hey, let's do something else about this. You know, let's let's change things. We don't have to settle for the status quo. Yeah. Um, because that's what I see from young people. They're, they're hesitant um, and they don't see themselves there. So they don't feel like they can, you know, be a part of that. And I think that's why it's really important that young people do have like an, an earnest part of council. You know, I'm not not really interested in stuff like youth councils where you kind of like get a, a bunch of young people and you pretend they're involved and you tell them to sit over there and eventually like maybe you'll listen to them, maybe you'll ignore them. Um, cause that's the thing that some councils do where they're kind of like, we talk to young people, we have a youth council where they get to pretend to be councillors and we go, that's nice, shush. <laughs> um, for me, it's about like earnest representation actually in the real thing. Yeah. Um, and I think... Um, Something I've found particularly interesting is um, when people want to talk about Chloe Swarbrick. Right. So um, I have friends across the political spectrum. Um, and uh, a friend of ours who I would describe as, as certainly young Nat leaning. Yep. Um, when he came to stay with us, he just wanted to talk to me about Chloe. This feels really lame. Did you did you hear her? Uh, I think her discussion with Mike Hosky. I didn't hear that one. I heard the one with um Paula Bennett. Oh yes, yes. Which was like great. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like he just wanted to talk to me about Chloe, and what just her particular policy and her stance. Oh, on... just like, um, you know. I might try and get her on here at some point. Eh? <laughs> You can try. I can try. She might say no, but <laughs> I had breakfast with her the other day, so she does. She's in town sometimes. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought it was so interesting that you know somebody from you know across the political spectrum was was really interested in this other candidate, and it was predominantly you know youth interested in youth, much more than it was you know. Well, people if if they can if they feel they can relate to the person, yeah. yeah then they're more likely to be interested yeah. in it. And I think yeah. that's part of the problem with council at the moment is you've got a whole bunch of white old men, you know, and, you know, uh, predominantly the population in Hamilton is is mostly young people. Yeah. So they're just like, uh, yeah. these these oldies don't 
relate to me. I don't care about them, you know. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. yeah. And then obviously the the people who are running, um, there seems to be a bit more diversity this time around. Yeah. Uh, but that's been a really, like, conscious effort. Yeah. Like, that's that, that didn't just magically happen on its own, you know. Um, I was part of a group of, like, women in politics who, like, actually wanted more women to run and more, you know, diverse women to run as well. Why do you think women don't run usually? Why do you think it's predominantly men? I know that, like, in being a CEO, people are shocked to see me. Like, like I will set up and set up a meeting to discuss a really important contract with, you know, um, a really big client. And when I turn up, they're like... <laughs> Uh, and sometimes I'm a little bit mean. Like one time I was leaving a, a meeting and I was like, oh, and thanks for not, you know, um, dobbing me in as truant. And they were like, ha, ha. And I was just like, I didn't know how to take it. Oh, I've, I've, I've hit a nerve here because you 100% thought that. Yeah. Um, and part of that is age, but part of that is also, you know, being a woman. Um, and I think as well, I don't have kids. I'm not married, but that certainly makes things harder when you have people dependent on you. Um, which is not to say that... Jacinda's doing it, though. Yeah. But Jacinda's on how much a year? That is true. How many nannies does she probably have? Well, if, 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 <laughs> if you end up being the mayor, then you'll be on a pretty sweet salary. Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's, it's what, 160? Yeah, I think the, uh, Andrew said it was 160,000. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty good. I can assure you that is not what I'm currently paying. <laughs> I could pay off so much of my student loan. Oh my gosh, it'd be so exciting. Yeah, yeah. But that, that would be so good. <laughs> that that should motivate you to want to be the mayor more. Well, yeah, but like at the end of the day, like not I, not obviously. That's just like get me mayor so I can pay off my student loan. Pay off my student loan. But that's like that's such. But a, that's relatable though. That's such a bleak. Young people can relate to that. <laughs> but I mean, if if you have to be mayor to feel like you can confidently pay off your student loan in a short amount of time, that's like. Yeah, well, that says a lot about the state of the state of income. And income. Well, New Zealand is a low wage economy. Yeah, it really is. I mean, I don't know that many wealthy people. Um, well, I mean, the the the, the wealth distribution. Well, in yes, itself. it's pretty bad. I yeah. mean, Waikato has quite a a big poor problem. I mean, from talking with Andrew, I don't think the guy is a, a bad person. Oh, for, I mean, for this sure. is the and thing about I, politics, right? Yeah, is that yeah. Nobody's a, a but necessarily he, I, a nasty he, person. He is perceived like as a as a douche, pretty much. I mean, before even meeting him, people were being like, "Oh, he's a dick. He's a he's an asshole." Da, da, da. And I'm like, okay. But when I met him, he seemed. I mean, he's a serious guy, but he's he seemed nice, and um, I can I can tell he has a very big heart for Hamilton. He's yeah. really really passionate about the city. And um, and I do respect the fact that he even came on here because he didn't need to do it. And I mean, yeah, one of, one of my friends was actually wanted me to ask him about the billboard thing, but I was like, uh, there's, there's some other things I'd rather yeah ask him that are a bit more important rather than a, yeah. a billboard. I think I and I probably guessed from talking to him. I already knew what his intention was anyway. He's just he thinks there's another way of helping them rather than just giving them money. Yeah. It's the same way with his... Uh, that's why I didn't ask him about the pokies either, because yeah. I, I knew 
I know already knew what he was trying to do, but some people no. Uh, but then the thing is, and if you become me, you're going to run into this problem. <laughs> is once people, if they feel like you've, you've wronged them, you've wronged them, they're yeah. just going to hate you no matter what. Yeah, yeah. No for matter sure. what. Yeah, you can't you can't do good in their eyes because they've just made this. Uh, you know they've made this. I, I, they've got this idea in their head. Yeah, they put you in a box. Yeah, they're like, yeah. this person's like this. I don't like them. Yeah, yeah. And it's really. Um, I mean, I've been a, I've been a woman on Twitter, so <laughs> I have some oh, degree the understanding of, of yeah, brutal being put in a box and and you know, I think the thing that I come back to is that the more that you can talk with people, the more that you can engage with people and the more that you can show that you're open to having a conversation, the easier it is to change that perception. And I mean, I've had so many, so much press, but so much of it is 26-year-old. It's woman. It's, you know, all of these labels. And for me, I feel I'm actually way more interesting than than a lot of those things. Yeah. And it also means that, you know, there are other labels that I could talk about, but I choose not to because I don't want other people to focus on them either. Yeah. And it's it's tricky. You've got to manage this perception all the time. And Because you know, it's it's a I get it, but it it's a little advantageous as well for you to kind of use that because people can relate to it. Oh for so, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but I, I would see you getting frustrated with like, oh, I'm more than just a woman who's 26. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I get it. Yeah. There's, there's pros and cons to it. But yeah, it's it's tricky when you're trying to, um, do you get I the, guess, show more nuance to yourself than just that. Do you meet some people who come up to you, obviously, and then they just solely focus on that? Even if you try explaining something else to them in regards to politics, they're just so focused on the Oh, yeah. I mean, I've thing. had people be like, do you have a day job? And I'm like, I'm like, yes, I'm the CEO of an electricity company. And they're like, oh. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I have a job and it's a fairly serious and significant job with, you know, responsibility. Um, and, you know, the other day at work I had to, because electricity is heavy, heavily regulated industry, um, mm. obviously. And so I was, you know, submitting some paper, paperwork around what what we would do if we made, you know, a loss and a loss of, you know, calculated in the millions, you know, what are, what are we as a company going to do? And it's like, that's just something that's part of my job. And people, dealing with, dealing with a lot of budgets. Well, dealing with, dealing with risk, dealing with. Well, that's translatable to, to council. Yeah. Yeah. People, people might not realize that. Well, that's what, that's what I try when people ask me about like, oh, so why do you think you could be mayor? Or, you know, if people are like, what, what, you know, what credentials do you bring 26 year old? And it's like working out what happens if we make a loss, making sure that we don't, they're like, there's no possible way that we could accidentally turn off someone's power. Um, Looking like being on the governance board of, you know, GoEco is the largest sustainability charity in the Waikato. So, you know, that's not that's not a small charity, you know? No. And and we're collectively, as a board, making decisions about what the future is and how we can make this, you know, entity thrive and give back to our community. And at the end of the day, both both in both of my roles, um, we have stakeholders. We have people we make commitments to. We have customers. And if we don't deliver 
on what we talk about or, you know, what we've committed to, to giving to people. I don't have a job. And I yeah. feel like politics is basically that. And that's why I I'm think right that, like, way, yeah. you know, you asked me, like, well, what what would you do as, as mayor? And it's like, well, what I do as mayor or what I could get through, it's I can't say, you know, we'd solve climate change because, you know, that's a huge thing. That... Well, that's something that you can't solve in one <laughs> but, term, let but, alone five terms. Well, probably. yeah. But it's also about, you know, what can I bring a group of people along on a vision towards solving? Yeah. So a lot of what I do is talk about the, the issues I'd like to address. And yeah, some of that is is tangible. Like I can talk about high density housing. I can talk about cycleways. I can talk about um, fixing the wastewater system in Hamilton West. But a lot of it is, you know, exploring the issues that affect communities and getting their input on the changes they want to see. And, you know, providing a platform for people to feel listened to. I met with um, the Rotatuna Business Network um, a couple of Fridays ago, and they were saying about how rent in Rotatuna is comparable, commercial rent is comparable to rent in the Auckland CBD. I'm not actually surprised by that because Rotatuna is getting pretty expensive. But we we had this amazing discussion where I said, you know, like, well, well, what are your concerns about your livelihoods? About you know the the future of of you and your families living here and your businesses and you know what are the changes you would like to see? And I mean. They had amazing, excellent, you know, suggestions and talking points. And, you know, they asked me, they were like, well, if you were elected, is this stuff that you would you would deal with or, or you know, investigate? And I was like, absolutely. And because at the end of the day, if something is significantly affecting somebody's well-being in our city, that's something that council should at least listen to, to some degree. I wonder if they listen but just don't act. And I mean, certainly you are you are constrained to a certain degree around yeah. what council can do. So, you know, like there are some things where it's like uh, council doesn't deal with that. That's a DHB issue or that's a central government issue. But yeah. I mean, that's the other side of politics is that people don't know specifically what council does. And so it's really helpful in, in a lot of the discussions I have. I'm saying, you know, well, actually... Like, yes, this is important. Yes, this is, you know, something we should be doing about. But if we're going to effectively target this, you should be talking to this organization or you should be talking to this part of, you know, how our government works because that's how you're going to get the outcomes you need. And that's why I think, like, it's important that people are engaged in politics because then you know how to find the solutions to the issues facing you and you're not, you know, um, for want of a better word, but, you know, complaining to the wrong people. Yeah. Because then you can, then you can get, then you can get stuff done. So well, when you're when you're not busy mm -hmm. CEOing mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and uh, not running campaign trails, so what do you uh -huh. what, what do you like to do in your downtime? Um, last time, last I night... asked Andrew this, and oh yeah, he didn't really have much of an answer for me. Yeah, he just because it seems like he's got a ridiculously busy work schedule. He doesn't even see his wife. So poor guy. <laughs> um, well, my, my partner and I get to bond over our campaign because he made my website. So Oh, that's cool. I bring him into the... We, ha we hang out and have quality campaign time together. Um, that's cool. But uh, last night, um, I've been trying to not... Like, for me, a big... One success of the campaign will be resilience and being able to, like, come out of this campaign and be like, 
I didn't burn out, you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm willing to give this uh, another go in three years' time. So um, I try really hard to schedule time to do non-campaign stuff and non-work stuff. And last night um, I played Overwatch and I played Age of Empires with some friends of mine. So that was some Was that on PC or yeah. was it? Oh, yeah. oh wow. Okay. Yeah. How long for? How many hours? Oh, I don't know, like three. Three, three hours. Are you, do, you, do you talk? Like tr- <laughs> troll, t- troll, troll talk? <laughs> troll talk? Yeah, well, we were, in Age of Empires, we were playing expert mode um, and we realized very quickly we were not good enough for playing expert mode. Um, and I very quickly gave up trying to have any kind of civilization and basically just wanted to acquire sheep and as many sheep as I could. And um, my partner kept stealing all my sheep. And so there was some shit talk around. <laughs> why are you killing my sheep and why are you stealing my sheep? <laughs> and eventually he just like gifted me a whole heap of sheep and our friends were like, boo. <laughs> and I was like, this is true love. <laughs> it is true love. Yeah. Um, I read mm-hmm. that you are a vegan. Yes. Well, um, this was, we- I didn't expect a bond or, or feel a-, a bond with Andrew King around this. Um, but yeah. Um, so my I'm, partner's vegetarian. Yeah, I've been. I was vegetarian since I was about fifteen, um, and then the way that I explain it is that we pretty much eat vegan at home. And, and then, then what vegetarian when you're out? Yeah. yeah well, this is this is it's part hard. of the problem I've found because I, I'm not a vegetarian. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of vegetarian at home. I'm yeah, a vegetarian because yeah. she cooks. And, yeah. But I'm I'm pretty adaptable. I just eat whatever. Yeah. Um, but. She gets very, very frustrated because... So she's from India, right? Yeah. Now, I've been to India, and you can open a menu. Amazing be, options, Yeah, right? yeah, you've got like 30 options for just the mains, <laughs> yeah. and they'll all be vegetarian. And the meat and, and, and stuff there isn't actually... It, it doesn't take... Well, they don't... In her state, they don't serve beef. Yeah. And they don't serve pork. Um because it's a bit of a religious stay and they don't want to offend the Hindus and they don't want to offend the Muslims. So you've only really got chicken. But yeah. then because uh, they're worried about bacteria, they tend to overcook the chicken. Right. So if you if if you want to be a vegetarian and not have any problems, I mean, India's the place to go. Yeah. But, uh, but here, because we're a livestock nation and, you know, yep. we love meat here. Yep. <laughs> if you go to a restaurant, you're lucky if you've got three options that are vegetarian, let alone vegan. Yeah. 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 I mean, for me personally, um, I try to make the best decisions I can on a case by case basis. Right. Um, and for me, eating is always better than not eating. So if the option is to eat hot chips, because that's the only vegetarian thing on the meal. Oh, no. <laughs> More hot chips. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Terrible. Um, so that's why I'm kind of like, um, I don't find a lot of value in being really strict. Um, and for me, yeah, it's, it's about just making the best decision as I can. I really love, have you been to vegan buffet? Yeah. My, my girlfriend loves that place. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I really love Dobro's if you like kind of slightly fancier food. I have not been there yet. I've walked past it and I'm thinking, oh, maybe we should go there, but yeah, we haven't been there yet. Um, have you heard mm-hmm. about James Cameron and Peter Jackson? They've, they're starting this new oh, company, yeah. this yeah, the fake feet, the fake meat. <laughs> yeah, or some type of because uh, I watched some interview with James Cameron where he was talking about how um, New Zealand needs to go meat free, and then they showed a farm and he's like, "No, yeah, you know," yeah. Uh, and he was getting a lot of pushback. 
Because here's the thing. I reckon in this country, eating meat, telling people to not eat meat <laughs> is like going to America and telling them to stop using guns. guns. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's an incredibly it's, culturally it's, important yeah, thing to us. It's ingrained. Like, you take it the economy side um, out of it with agriculture yeah. and yeah, how yeah, much yeah. it contributes to our GDP. Yeah. But the actual, um, just the, yeah, the, how much ingrained it is in yeah. our culture in terms of eating meat. And it's a hard thing to convince people, particularly if they really like it. I mean, I know some people that eat it every single day. Like yeah. Lots of people day. eat it for every meal. Yeah, yeah. But, like, from my point of view... Um, so, but, like, but what do you do? Um, because I know Andrew mentioned taking B12 supplements. Yep, yep, I take B12. But in terms... Because I'm not sure if you know this, but in India, anemia is, is quite a bad... Oh, I eat my leafy greens. Yeah. But, I never have a problem with that. But apparently because... Uh, because uh, save steak for example yeah. the the body absorbs it uh, it's yeah. easier for it to absorb yeah. iron than say other other forms of uh iron based foods i guess yeah uh so how do you how do you make sure that you structure your eating habits so that you yeah. get all the nutrition that you need um we, or do you or do you just we, yeah i'm we, not even worried about we it eat a lot of vegetables <laughs> Um, I have seen a nutritionist who kind of like, um, she got me to keep like a log for a week of what I ate and then I gave it to her and she's like, oh, you're fine. Um, but I have. Did they do, do tests and everything on you? Well, I, uh, at one point I did get really B12 deficient and it was, um, you just, you get so exhausted. It's really tired. Like you're just yeah, tired. Yeah. Um, and so it was at that point where I just realized I hadn't, um, I just hadn't been thinking about it. Yeah. Too many hot chips, clearly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just, I do honestly eat a lot of vegetables. So I, like, we eat a lot of broccoli. We eat a lot of, like, God forbid, kale. Um, kind of your, yeah. Do you do any, like, uh, sh- shake drinks? No. That you do in the blender? <laughs> I mean, With, like, some... kale and... No, I mean, if I do, I sometimes have, um, like, berries, like a berry smoothie. Oh, yeah. But... No, I'm not. I'm not really into like, like when I think of a kale smoothie, it's kind of like cold vegetable soup, and I'm like, mm, nah, nah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty like I don't know. I'm pretty pragmatic about it as an approach. Like for me, knowing what I know about climate change and about uh, industrial animal agriculture. To me, it doesn't seem something, you know, eating meat for every meal is not something that I personally think that I can do for the rest of my life. And I know that meat is something really culturally important to us. So, you know, if you think about what your comfort food is and think about how important it is to have your favorite, favorite meal, for me, it was about thinking about how I can transition to like a lower meat diet or a meat-free diet or... um, a way of thinking about food which didn't rely on meat in the way that I used to um, so that I could make new comfort foods or I could make food which would be important to me but I wouldn't feel like I was missing out on anything because, you know, the more and more we talk about, you know, the way that the world is changing, I'd rather change now voluntarily. You know, it's it's like changing. Yeah. Cha- it's like... 
having reusable bags and choosing to use reusable bags before there's a ban on plastic bags, you know? Yeah. It's about changing well, when you can. I mean, I don't, I don't see a ban for meat coming <laughs> no, anytime no. soon here. That's a very extreme that example. That would be political but... <laughs> suicide for whoever does it. <laughs> but, you know, for me, it was just thinking about, you know, what can I do now? Um, I get what you mean, though. I yeah. totally get what you mean. Do you ever look at, let's say you go to dinner with a group of yeah, people yeah, yeah. and they order something that has meat on it. Are you ever like... I really miss pies. I, I miss pies. Oh, pies are awesome. There used, to, there used to be a place in Hamilton that did amazing vegan pies, and they used to do a, a butter chicken pie that was vegan, and it was so good. How is it butter chicken if it's vegan? They used that... Um, so they, it has the sauce, but it's not... It's got that sun-fed or is it that fake, fake chicken. Fake chicken chicken yeah. that tastes like chicken. Yeah. yeah, but you do have to be careful. Sometimes when stuff is too real, I kind of just can't. I'm like, no, it's too, like, I don't know. I've conditioned myself to being, to you know, that's something that I don't eat. So sometimes so, if it's too real, I'm like, no. So all this, so with, <laughs> so you know how they're working on uh, meat-free meat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So meat that's uh, grown in a lab yeah, as opposed yeah. to killing animals. Right? But it's still, like, actually meat. Yeah. So would you, would you eat that or no? <sighs> I mean, like theoretically, yes. Like, let's say, because obviously, that's if they if they do that, if that changed around the yeah, whole yeah, world, yeah. then obviously that would cut back um, uh, problems with climate. Yeah, that would affect it greatly. And there's no like animal cruelty. Yes, there's yeah. no animal animal cruelty. Yeah, which is part of the reason why my um partner is vegetarian as well. But so, would you be open to eating meat under that? I mean, I think even. Or would you still be like, nah, it's still too <laughs> real for me? On a like, on a like ideological level even even eating meat that was raised properly and cared for and you know wasn't industrial or farmed like i don't personally have any problem with eating that it's just really expensive and i choose not to and at the end of the day as well i it, it weirds me out <laughs> like because i've i've not eaten meat for so long um so i mean like i don't have a problem with other people eating meat and i don't think there's anything wrong with eating meat. I just personally feel that for myself, the amount of meat that I was eating and the way, the conditions in which it was grown and farmed and killed and yeah, yeah. was not something that I wanted to be a part of. Which is fair enough. Yeah. I My view is everything in moderation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that goes for any food. So, like, you shouldn't be smashing back just lettuce all the time because <laughs> you're probably going to need yeah. some other foods. Yeah. And I also don't think it's good to eat meat all the time either. Um, and then I think I, you also have to listen to what your body is saying. Mm. If your body's telling you, you know, if your gut's playing up after you eat something, then stop eating it. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, if you find your body, you're sluggish or tired, then you probably just need to incorporate some mm. um, other additional foods into your diet. Yeah. yeah. So I had quite an interesting experience growing up because my mom's a celiac. So she she can't eat anything. Oh, uh, that's gluten. gluten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so for a lot of my life, I pseudo had a celiac diet because my mom would cook for her and she'd cook for me, uh, and obviously I would eat whatever she ate. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, it was really interesting when I came to halls of residence, and I was like, pasta, <laughs> like toast, you know, like all of these kind of foods that growing up I just never had because we just didn't we didn't eat pasta because you know 10 years ago there wasn't good gluten-free pasta um 
And so I feel like um, people's relationships with food is something that's always been like quite interesting to me. I've got this weird thing whenever I go to the uh, grocery store. So yeah. I go to Pack and Save. I've got this habit of just looking at other people's trolleys, <laughs> just seeing what they're eating and like, oh, yeah, okay. All right, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually... Like people it, watching, but like trolley watching? Well, yeah, you kind of, you don't, you don't make it obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then You're you just chill look, about it, Yeah, obviously. and then you just look like the weirdo checking out their food, <laughs> you know, like, what's up with that? But uh, I often look, and the common thing is Coke. Yeah. Frozen pies. Yeah. Easy uh, food, right? Yeah, yeah. Bread is another one. Chips. Yeah. Chips, yeah. And then it's, it's actually quite surprising and shocking to me how many times I'll look in a trolley and the trolley will be stacked, stacked with food. And you've got hardly any vegetables or fruits in there. There'll be like eight packets of bread and four mm. bottles of Coke and then maybe some beer and, you know, chips and nuts. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's the thing about, you know, food being culturally important to us. You know, you want stuff if you're working two jobs, three jobs, if you have, you know, kids you have to feed, if you've got, you know, stress, if you've got especially financial stress, you know, you don't want food to be this huge burden, you no. know? Well, also junk food is seems to be cheaper than oh, for sure. eating healthy. And that's part of the problem. And we have a duopoly in this country where you've got uh, Countdown mm -hmm. and then you've got New World and Pack and Save, which are owned by foodstuffs. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it's good that Costco are coming here. Oh, really? You're pro-Costco? Yeah, have you ever been to Costco? No. Okay, so well, I went to Costco when I was in the States. Yeah. And everything is just in bulk. It's massive. You bought like a massive, I mean, not that I'm saying people should do this, but I just yeah, did yeah, it because yeah. I was overseas, but the massive bag of M&Ms got this big <laughs> yeah. for about $12 or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, and like the just the small one is about five. But this was massive. This is honestly massive. But the, everything is in bulk. Yeah. When you get to the checkouts, you can get, you know that if you go to well, you probably wouldn't know, but in Wendy's, <laughs> if you if Wendy's when you order a combo, if you get large, they give you this massive drink. Yeah, it's about this can, size. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So you you get that and a a, a hot dog for a dollar fifty. That's in um in Costco, and they also have like these do they do these nice ass pizzas as well. But it'll it'll be obviously a while before because it has to be a nationwide thing yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than just being in West Auckland. Yeah, I know that, so when I was studying, um, there was a point in time where I got really, really unwell and I was really depressed for like a significant amount of time. And the way that that impacted the food that I ate was really interesting um, because when you're depressed, you can, on a, oh, you can, <laughs> this can be a bit for you to cut out, um, just my about this. Um, when you're depressed, it can be really exhausting and it can be really, really difficult to kind of do basic stuff that you would kind of yeah. take for granted when you're well. And there was a lot of times where I was living off packet pasta because that's all the, that I had the energy to do. And for me, that's like high plastic waste. It's not not a lot of nutritional content, but no. I was kind of making decisions where I had to choose any food that I could I could have the energy to cook was better than not being able to not having the energy to eat anything, and so there's a lot of I guess 
I'm I'm super aware of the privilege that I have now where either I cook or my partner cooks meals with lots of veggies and, you know, um, home cooked from scratch, you know, that I think about how, you know, even a couple of years ago seemed like such a luxury from on one side, the, the energy side that it took, that takes a person to make that kind of meal, but also from, I definitely could not afford that many vegetables, you know? I look yeah. at what our shopping list, like we're quite, um, our, uh, our grocery list often has uh, <laughs> added extras of snacks or Well, when you say fun snacks, stuff, what's snacks? Um, Are we talking like chocolate, yeah. chips? Yeah. yeah. Okay. But like, but you know, that stuff that, I would never have dreamed of buying a couple of years ago because I, I didn't even have money to buy vegetables, let alone fun stuff. So as someone who's been a student mm -hmm. and knowing how hard it is, yeah. is there anything you can think of to, that could possibly assist students more or is it just a matter of like, well, you just have to do two, full, uh, two uh, no, jobs well, on the side? So, or just live with no food, or just eat BK. I, I, I honestly find it so frustrating, and it makes me so angry when people talk about poverty as a student as a rite of passage. Like I'm just well, it shouldn't be a rite of passage. Well, but that's what people people say, like, oh, but you know, that three years toughens you up for the rest of your life, or, or whatever. And I'm like, get in the fucking river. Sorry, am I allowed to swear? Yeah, you are allowed to swear. <laughs> It's it makes me so angry. I have rappers on the show, trust me. <laughs> People swear. <laughs> and they definitely swear. Because it, it's just, to me, I, I was a student for oh, six, seven years. And it was so incredibly demoralizing and depressing. Is it just the fact that you can't do anything when you have any free time? Or is it the fact that you can't afford to eat? Or have a luxury. Well, I mean, I mean, or is it encompassing all things? Well, so my my study workload was a forty hour workload. Right. So study link, I think, gave me from memory about a oh, hundred and sixty or hundred and eighty bucks a week. So my rent was normally about I don't know, um, hundred and twenty. So if you think about what's forty bucks to buy groceries, to put petrol in your car or to, to for bus money, um, for any, God forbid, you need clothes or uh, technology or anything else, you know, toiletries, basic stuff like that. Yeah. It's an incredibly difficult thing to manage. And so that's what you, that's what I was entitled to as a student. Um, and so obviously I worked jobs on top of that, but then you're turning a 40 hour week into a 60 hour week or an 80 hour week. And I mean, like my studies hugely suffered because of that. I mean, I went from, you know, nailing, I, I was an A, A plus student when I was, when I had my scholarship and was, didn't need a job versus when I handed it in and I got a B plus for my thesis. So, I mean, there's a huge, you know, difference in, in, my my literal well, if, grade if, if you're stressed and you're <laughs> yeah but your you brain know, doesn't make good decisions as well when you're stressed yeah or you're anxious or you're just you're tired yeah you know, your brain's not going to work properly and it, i think as well it's definitely that it's that constant needing to be working and doing something of value 
so that you can, you know, feel like you, you've got, you know, rainy day money or you've got, yeah. you know, whatever comes up as being covered. And, I mean, that ties back into what I was saying before about, you know, having moved seven times in eight years. Yeah. Finding a bond money that often is really, really tricky. Yeah, well, I mean, if it's this bad here, oh, I wonder yeah. what it's like because I, I'm not sure if you know, like in Wellington, yeah, yeah, it's getting I've ridiculously heard bad. Stories. Yeah, and Auckland. Um, so my my partner, uh, her friend's cousin, recently moved over here last year, and anyway, she was staying in this place, and she spent New Year's with us, and then we drove back to Auckland to drop her off. And I'm not exaggerating when I tell this story, by the way, yeah. but we went to her place where she was staying on Dominion Road, which is one of the main roads yeah. in Auckland. And anyway, we walked into this apartment complex. I knew as soon as I saw the elevator, I'm, I was thinking, okay, this place is going to be terrible. This, I just knew it was going to be terrible. Anyway, we walk in, we get to her room. Now, first of all, you walk into the lounge, there's two people sleeping in the lounge. Yeah. Okay, two people sleeping in the lounge. You go into the first bedroom, there's a family sitting in, uh, sleeping in there, a father, a mother, and about a six, six seven-year-old, yeah. Daughter? Yeah. Just in this one room. Yeah. And it would be smaller than the studio. Like it'd probably be maybe half. Yeah. yeah. So what you can see on camera? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. And um and then we went to her room. Yeah. And there was a bunk bed, one guy sleeping on top. She was sleeping on the bottom. Yeah. With another dude on the bed. This is a single bed, by the way. And the dude wasn't even her boyfriend. Yeah. It was just some random. Yeah. Um and like and she was still paying, I think, $150. Wow. And that's without... That's uh, just rent? That's just rent. That's yeah. not even expenses. I'm like, what? Yeah. And if, if she's going through that, there must be yeah. hundreds, yeah. maybe thousands of students going through some of the things. I'm maybe in Hamilton, maybe in Wellington. And I just... And with the way... Because everything has a compounding effect, right? So yeah. if house prices continue to go up, then what happens is the landlords increase the rent. Yeah. And then they put that on the students and then students are forced to pay. You, you could easily end up with eight people in a yeah. three bedroom house, yeah. maybe later on, um, not too far from now. And it's just, it's, it's horrible, man. This is depressing talking about it. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's, that's one of the other things about council. I mean, I worked for, I was deputy editor of the student magazine Nexus Yeah, and I remember one of the local body elections, we interviewed some candidates and I remember a guy saying, like, well, we asked him, what do you, what, what would you do for young people in the city? What would you, what would you do for students? And he had the most condescending and just like, honestly, offensive comment where he was just like, students, like young people and students should be seen and not heard. And, you know, um, I would put a liquor ban on, you know, 24-7 or something something ridiculous like that where it was just like students are irresponsible and should just, you know, stop how, having fun. How, how old was this guy? Oh, I'd say over 50 easily. He's probably thinking to how it was back in his day. Well, this is because the Because the cost though. of living has changed quite – well, yes, obviously you got paid this back then and did yeah, it with yeah. inflation, but the houses didn't cost, what, yeah. 10 times your income. yeah. 
and, more than that in some cases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's all these additional things that you need now, like phone and internet. And... Yeah. And they're not optional. People think that they're optional. Like, no. oh, you could just go without and it's like... No, nah, you need a phone in this day and age. You need internet in this day and yeah. age. Well, you might be able to go to a library and maybe use this. Well, it's, if, you, if you don't have access to it yourself, it's incredibly difficult to access the services you need to basically be a part of the community. Yeah, yeah. Or be a part of, you know, the, the, the society of the city. Um, but yeah, I remember, I remember like reading this guy's responses and just being like, why are we, why are we printing this? This guy doesn't know. He doesn't understand the, like the serious hardships that we're facing. If all he thinks is that, you know, we just drink too much alcohol and we're stupid and irresponsible. And it's like, well, there probably are some that are like that, (laughs) but but, But the majority, uh, the vast majority majority would not be like that. They're too busy studying. Well, that's that's the thing that always weirded me out about, like, oh, students take so many drugs and drink so much alcohol and blah blah blah, and it's like, I don't. Well, they probably just need a release too. I didn't have any money for alcohol. Like, alcohol is so expensive. It's an expensive habit to drink, actually. So I actually wonder how so so many of my friends spend so much money on alcohol, and I'm like, where did you get the money from? Yeah. Um. So yeah, it's. It's but, a hard you know, topic. What stuff would... like that turns people off politics, you know? Especially yeah. young people when it when all you hear is, you know, condescending opinions. What's your um opinion because with automation, right? Mm-hmm. I'd imagine that some degrees will probably become obsolete in maybe five to ten years. Like my dad always used to tell me, you should do a trade, you should do a trade. And thinking back on it now, I'm like, I should have done a trade. <laughs> Because, Trades are so valuable. Well, yeah, but there's still this negative stigma. Oh, like, for no, sure. no, you need to go to uni. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's not to say that everyone should go to uni and everyone yep. should do a trade. Uh, but obviously there are, you get paid while you're working. Yeah. Yep. And then they're incredibly in demand now. But there are some degrees. I mean, I know a lot of people that have come out of uni and they can't get a job in their field. Yeah. They're working at you know, warehouse or BP or something. And they have a degree in like Bachelor of Arts or Bachelor of Commerce or something. And and they just can't find a job. I've got a friend who recently um, finished studies. He's got a Bachelor in Marketing and he lives in Auckland and he's struggling to find a job up there. And um, I just feel for these, for these guys because they, they've got these massive loans and they're having to work in these, minimum wage jobs which don't really pay the bills particularly in Auckland yeah yeah um and I just I I don't know I don't know how you fix the problem yeah I mean um tying it back to automation it's already there's already jobs that are that are nearly obsolete because of automation if you take like bookkeeping for example oh yeah zero entirely does that now for you basically um but I think that so my job as a we we're an automated electricity company mm-hmm. so you know how big the genesis building is in town yeah yeah so our electricity run, company could run with three people if we really wanted it to so compare three people with the genesis building yeah which is a big building <laughs> yeah and that's you know that's one of however many locations in new zealand that they have offices um so for us um Obviously, we're not quite the same scale as as Genesis, but you know that's what automation can do. I mean, we can we can offer the kind of services that we do because we're automated. We don't have the same overheads. Yeah. So there are lots of you know positives to automation, but you know you need to be thinking about 
how to use technology for good. So um, our electricity company, how it works is that when you join as a customer, you choose a community organization, which we call Good Causes. And we give one cent of your price to that good cause. And what that means is that um, last year, the top five electricity companies in New Zealand, which hold 87% of the market share, earned over $9 billion in revenue collectively and gave between zero, so like literally nothing, and 0.08% of that back in donations to the community. Wow. So there's lots of money to be made off electricity. Yeah. Uh, but you don't see a lot of that going back into communities. And so what we do is through our automation, we can offer a competitive price and we choose for you to tell us where you want some of that money to go back to. And so what that means is for every thousand average customers who have paid their bills, that would be $70,000 a year going to that community organization, which otherwise wouldn't get it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you think about the um, ecosystem of charity currently in New Zealand, um, margins are super tight funding is extremely competitive and you know it's incredibly hard to make ends meet as a charity doing you know significant and important work in our community and so if we can provide an avenue um, basically for them to have a core service like electricity be going back to them without needing to you know apply for funding in the same way you would normally you know, regular reoccurring payments into your bank account, you know, that's the opportunity for significant change. Yeah. And I mean, that's how we use automation for good. And yeah, maybe if we were an old school company, we would have hired a bunch more people from the community. But part of what we do at work, so there's my company, we have um, a bunch of other companies sharing a space and we kind of work as a... Um, social enterprise technology like incubator yep. so a, pl a place for startups to kind of hang out and we share resources and what it means is that you know we have a technology team who builds our our system mm -hmm. but they can actually now go off and build other stuff they don't have to stay and work for us full time and be continually working on on what we're doing yeah we, you actually free people up to do other stuff and that's you know that's the good side of automation is you know you don't have, you don't need people to necessarily do menial tasks, but you need to give them the opportunity to do other things. Yeah. Well, I mean, automation does create new jobs and yeah. technology. I mean, one job becomes obsolete, obsolete, but then new jobs are created. Yeah. So it's a, an evolving circle, I suppose you could say in yeah. some senses. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have a successor in place for... <laughs> For if, yeah. for when you were, <laughs> no, if you if you become mayor, I know that um, it will be a discussion that me and my boss will have. Um, being the CEO, by the way, does not mean that you are like I am the boss, kind of. I'm not a business. Person, There's still somebody so above I don't understand. me. <laughs> like, okay, yeah. okay, all right. So um, that's a conversation I have quite a lot, though. Is that people are like, oh, but you own this company, right? And I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm just I was hired to run it. There's yeah. like a distinction there. Yeah. So what that means is that the people are like, oh, this is a thing that you made up. That's how you got to be CEO. And I'm like, no, no, somebody gave me this title. Because I always thought CEO <laughs> was, you know, the ultimate big cheese and they run everything and they don't have a boss or their boss are the <laughs> shareholders or something. Well, yeah. I mean, our my boss is our director. So he um, owns so, the company. 
Okay, so he owns it and you run it. Yeah, and, okay. and he's the one with all the money. And you're not like, hey. Well, well, I'm like, hey, can I spend it like this? And he's like, yeah, okay. Or no. <laughs> um, do I have a successor? Um, well, do you, is there plans in place? In the in the yeah. uh, in the case that you win. So if I was mayor, um, it would be pretty unlikely that I could do both. Yeah, well, I I would imagine it would be impossible. I could do both badly. Considering considering the hours that Andrew does, which I think he said was 7 to 8. Sometimes he gets home at 11, which is insane. Yeah. And he's always attending different events and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would certainly, if I was mayor, I'd certainly have to hand it over to somebody else. Um, If I was a counsellor, I think... um, you might be able to do both. Yeah, potentially. I mean, um, councillors are paid about sixty thousand, I think, from memory. Yeah. Or... So you're you're running for the the West Ward. Yeah. Yeah. West Side. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What area does that cover? Actually, everything west of the river. So that's from. That's that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We're kind of lucky at the moment in that explaining how the electrics electorates work in Hamilton is basically which side of the river do you live on? So is it just West Ward and East Ward? Yeah. And then, so you elect six for each. Each ward. Yeah. And so uh, being in Hamilton West, I can't vote for Hamilton East candidates, but everybody can vote for the mayor. So you vote for yourself? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. If I If I ran for Hamilton East, yeah, I couldn't vote for myself and that'd probably be awkward. Why not? Oh, I... yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. Ah, okay. Mm. Cool. Well, I might wrap up here. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to, to add before I close out? Do you want to tell everyone where to find you on social media and how to contact you? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you... Just expect our delayed <laughs> response, people. <laughs> yeah, I, I have automated... Um... I've gotten your automated email. Yeah, yeah, that's, that, why, that's why I call, uh, text you this morning. I'm yeah. thinking, did she get my email? I don't know. I, I did see it, but I was like, oh, it's on. It's now part of the list. Yeah, it? and I didn't want it to get to like three and then like, oh my God, <laughs> I don't even know where to go. Yeah. Um, so you can go to my website, which is mayor.louisehut.com, and that's hut with two Ts. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at louisehut, again, two Ts. Uh, I'm Say Cheese Louise on Twitter. And that's because I used to be a photographer, so that's why that handle is, like, vaguely interesting. And basically, go to vote.nz and you can check your enrollment or you can enroll. And you need to do that sooner rather than later so that you can vote. Yes. Make sure that you vote. It's very critical. (laughs) You cannot complain about politics if you do not vote. So make sure that you vote. Cool. Hey, this has been great. I'm glad. I'm glad you think so. I'm glad no, you don't this, think I've been a boring politician. No, no, no. This is this has been awesome. I like these. I like these type of chats when it's it's more of a discussion mm. rather than just me talk. Oh, saying asking a question and then just yeah sitting back. That's what I prefer. But though some people prefer when I just shut up. So <laughs> they've actually even I said thought, that. I thought you were interesting. <laughs> I try to try to be interesting. <laughs> but um, hey, if you win, you need to come back on. Yeah, and we'll. Uh, We'll do a, another another two hours. Yeah. I think it's been two hours. Yeah. Has it? Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yeah. All right, guys. Until next time, have a good one and stay safe. <laughs> See ya. See ya.